I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know, it's that time of the year, back to school, but we have never had a year like this in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So many issues, so many questions. We put together an amazing panel to help break it all down for us so we understand where we're at and more importantly, what's really best for our children. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Christopher Emden. He's a professor at the Teachers College at Columbia University. He's also the founder of Hip Hop Ed and the Science Genius Programs. Chris, great to have you with us. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Also joining us is New York City Council Member Mark Traeger. He's from Brooklyn. He is the chair of the City Council Education Committee. He's also a former high school teacher. Mark, great to have you with us. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Elisa English. She is a clinical therapist and works with many children throughout the school system. Dr. Elisa, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you. Mark, I want to start with you as the education chair of the city council and the former teacher. Where are we at with the schools right now in terms of preparedness, in terms of what the children really need and you know what's really happening? Thank you for the question, Lisa, and it's great to be with you in this uh, all-star panel talking about our kids, which are so important. Um, you know, there's a difference between the headlines and the fine print. And as education chair, I will go into the fine print about where we are operationally. Um, at this moment, New York City still has not signed any school bus contracts uh, to transport our students uh, to school. Uh, and we have a legal obligation, there are mandates in place to provide transportation to, to kids who will require it. So at this moment, school bus drivers still do not have a job, do not have health insurance. Um, school bus companies are in the dark about routes. And normally by this time, during, during a regular school year, not only would you, would you have contracts signed, but you would have draft routes assigned to do test runs to see what adjustments are needed for a smooth you know, uh, school season in September. So they're not ready, they're in the dark. Secondly, principals have not been told how they could assign staff. They don't even know what staff they'll have in place right early September. Can the same teacher who's teaching in person be teaching remote? There's still many unanswered questions. So if a parent calls a school and asks who will be teaching my child, no one could tell them. Um, I also want to add that, you know, the mayor had a press conference about nurses uh, saying that there's an agreement with health and hospital system. I spoke to a president of one of the health and hospital systems. It was news to that president about any of their staff being transferred to schools. And plus, and plus we have a national nursing shortage because of everything that's going on. And Mark, let me just pause you right there and, and yeah. bring Dr. Chris, uh, Chris Emden on this because let's go up in the drone and look at the whole big picture, Chris. You're an educator yourself on many levels. You're in the schools, in the, in the public schools, as well as at the uh, prestigious Columbia University. What's your take on where we're at right now? Well, we're in a state where the entire system is confused about the way forward because we've never had a situation like this before. However, we also have some really interesting <laughs> models about how to go forward because when the school year ended in the spring, we had to instantaneously transfer from offline learning to online learning. So that transfer from offline to online in many ways gave us a model for what online learning could look like. While we hold so held the ideal that we can be in person in the fall. Now that the fall has come, 
we know that the reality is that we cannot go fully online, I mean offline. So now we're trying to construct this sort of hybrid model. And the options that the DOE has given is either this sort of hybrid, part offline, part online, or strictly online. And so the biggest thing that folks are working, working on is what does it look like with the kids? When the kids are in person, will they be social distanced? How many kids can be in the school at a time? What is the infrastructure at place in the school? So do we have the, the facility to be able to handle the number of kids that we're going to have? Do we have educators who are trained to be able to go online? Is the same person going offline and online? But I think there's some models that we have from what's going on across the country about what we can do. But this just sounds like a big mess. You know, I hate to say it so bluntly. I hate to say it so bluntly, but it is. But, but I also do think that in the midst of the mess, there's some possible models. Um, and th those models look like emerging of synchronous and asynchronous in-person classes with very small populations that can be live streamed to young people, an identification of communities where the coronavirus has hit most intently. So those people have to be online. And then a recognition of a cycling of teachers across spaces where you're not only going to be teaching one subject or one age group, but a wide swath that's remote and asynchronous. Okay, and, and we'll get into that. And, and I don't want to be negative about everything because there's many dedicated uh, teachers, there's many dedicated educators, and a lot of parents that put in a lot of time to try to make things work with the, with the schools, and there's a lot of infrastructure there. Dr. Yeah. Anita, in terms of the New York City public school system, it's unlike any other. It's the biggest in the United States, 1.1 million children, many children coming from economically challenged or, or disadvantaged uh, family backgrounds, and also some of the most vulnerable children in some of the zip codes that have been the hardest hit by the coronavirus. What is your take on where we're at right now? Excellent question, Lisa. You know, it's, some, it's very interesting that our children are not only the most precious thing that we have, but they are the most promising thing that we have. And so we must be very cognizant in terms of whatever rollout in terms of academics that we include social emotional support and well-being because we understand the impact of trauma on our brain on our function on our life people function and function in like a hierarchy of needs so many of our families are struggling with a variety of insecurities housing insecurity economic insecurity healthcare insecurity, food insecurity. So when you're thinking about all of this, learning is not necessarily one of the higher things on their list, although it's a value we all hold dear. We must get this right, and everything that we do must include how will we manage the social and emotional impact of all of this, and how do we weave that through everything that we do. COVID, for one, one thing I can say about COVID-19 and the pandemic, it has truly been the great equalizer. It has created vulnerability amongst all of us, the educators, the leaders, the people who we understand that run and control systems and finances, all trying to figure out what the heck should we be doing here. Now, it's a few months later, we have a couple of models and other uh, systems and, and countries that try to return to some sense of normality and still 
there's still the trauma there. And if we don't begin to look at how, look at how we're going to address the trauma, we're just going to add to an increased ACE score as these children grow and develop. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about back to school. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Yeah, 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 salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson, and right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. We're taking a long, hard look at how prepared we are to have our children go back to school. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Christopher Emden. He's a professor at Teachers College at Columbia University. He's also founder of Hip Hop Ed and the Science Genius programs that incorporate hip hop into teaching children about science and technology and math and all those subjects that I really stunk at. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Also joining us is Mark Traeger. He's a New York City Council member representing Brooklyn. He's a former principal and he's also the chair of the City Council Education Committee. And he's been on the ground every day on this whole issue as we get closer to the new year. Mark, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, also joining us is Dr. Elisa English. She's a clinical therapist. She works with many children in the school system, especially children with special needs or at risk. Dr. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Mark, in, in, terms, of, in terms of the preparation, a lot of, you go into an office building now, uh, a big office building, you get a temperature check, you have to sign in, they're tracking where you're going, there's steps as you go through the hallways in many buildings as well. And yet with the schools, it seems as if we're getting these, we're getting a promotional video from City Hall about what's at, what they say is being done but every school is different. What kinds of concerns do teachers have? So I speak directly to educators almost every day now. I, I get calls, emails, uh, social media messages from, from, from the five boroughs. Uh, and I spoke to a principal the other day who called the hotline that the mayor promoted uh, you know, on TV about PPE and supplies. So the principal called and asked about when they'll receive thermometers for temperature checks. And the response they received from the hotline uh, person was, why are you worried about this now when school hasn't started yet? That's not the greatest response. Uh, you know, principals, by the way, just to give you a context, principals normally plan for September by March or even February. So the fact that we're a few weeks away and they don't even know what their enrollment is. They don't know what staff's coming back. They don't know about transportation. They don't know about their social workers, counselors, nurses. This just speaks to the level of unpreparedness. And you know, I have to I have to say this: you can't wing this. I understand we're not in normal times, but kids and staff—they're really important. And we do have to get this right because you can never get back lost instruction. So. We, we need to get this right, but we cannot wing this on the fly. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Chris, in, ter in terms of what about that, that planning issue? Because that's kind of the sense I get. It's kind of like Rob Peter to pay Paul, or we're going to have this. I get so every time I post on my social media about an education story, one comment I had was people go, well, we can't go into a restaurant where we're socially distanced sitting at a table, but yet the kids can go, kids can go back to school with no kinds of uh, check, you know, check program to go in. But what, what's your sense about that? I mean, so much. And I think what has been said by both of the other panelists are so genius. So I'm going to answer that question and, 
and try to pull their no, thoughts on also. Okay. I think when a good doctor talked about learning, I think we also have to expand out this idea of learning as learning academic content or information is not the highest in the hierarchy of needs, but learning how to be able to navigate stressful situations, learning how to be able to navigate all the harms that are being done is important. And then the role of the educator in this season is not just delivering content, but teaching young folks how to learn how to be able to navigate the worlds that they're embedded in. And so what, what COVID has taught us is that learning is just as important, but it is expanded to include things that are beyond the accumulation of a number of facts. And yes, you don't, lose, you don't regain lost learning time, but you might not be able to, to have learning as far as the accumulation of content knowledge, but there are other skills that young folks can develop in the season that helps them to be able to actually speed up their content knowledge acquisition later on. So for example, if I learn creativity, I learn thoughtfulness, I learn a sense of self, I learn how to pursue knowledge, I learn how to use social media to be able to gain academic knowledge. I learn what my passions are. Those things can translate when this thing is over to help a young person develop content knowledge later. So we oftentimes think about content knowledge like, how much information can I cram in right away? Oh my God, the kids are not memorizing all this stuff right away. But if they learn how to love themselves as learners, we pick that up really, really quickly. So now on the point of planning, listen, I wholeheartedly agree. If you won't plan, you're nowhere. But I also want us to understand that we have to also have a mindset of the appropriate types of planning. Mm. And the, the issue here is the philosophy around planning. So for me, I am not planning for whether or not the kids come back or not. I'm planning for COVID taught us that we can actually learn online. It's not ideal, but it's taught us that. So the question for me is, how are you planning to utilize those tools to maximize their, their ability? You see, you see you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't plan for the circumstance, but you can utilize the circumstance to plan to be innovative. And the absence of that type of planning is just as problematic as not signing the contract for bus workers and not making sure that you have the right funding that is needed. And to me, the, the issue is a, the absence of planning around the appropriate philosophy to deal with other circumstances. Because listen, COVID is not gonna be it. There will always be instances where you have a, a natural disaster, a health disaster, a weather disaster that you have to teach through it. So you plan for disaster, not plan for COVID. And if you plan for those kind of awful issues writ large, when they emerge, you have something in place. You have something in place that's like a fallback plan. All right, we're gonna take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about back to school. How ready are we? And when we come back, I'm gonna ask our panelists, which age groups of students are the most vulnerable to the situation that we're in right now. Stay with us, we'll be right back. What up, this is Trey Songz and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. We're taking a long, hard look at how prepared we are to have our children go back to school. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Christopher Emden. He's a professor at Teachers College at Columbia University. He's also founder of Hip Hop Ed and the Science Genius programs that incorporate hip hop into teaching children about science and technology and math and all those subjects that I really stunk at. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Also joining us is Mark Traeger. He's a New York City Council member representing Brooklyn. He's a former principal and he's also the chair of the City Council 
Education Committee, and he's been on the ground every day on this whole issue as we get closer to the new year. Mark, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, also joining us is Dr. Elisa English. She's a clinical therapist. She works with many children in the school system, especially children with special needs or at risk. Dr. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Marquez, in terms of the education outlook, we, we, it feels at times like it's a whole thing of, you know, there's a leak here, there's a leak there, patch this, patch that. And then the comprehensive view is not there. But like, you know, like we've been talking about, there are different opportunities that present themselves. You presented a plan. Tell us about your plan for you know, in an ideal scenario, if you could have designed this kind of re-entry program or, or school year in this COVID pandemic. Uh, yes, thank you, Lisa. You know, in addition to the pandemic, our school system has been facing pre-existing conditions that have been plaguing our system for decades. Chronic disinvestment in public schools. Um, the lack of nurses is not a new fight. The lack of social workers is not a new fight old buildings with inadequate ventilation is not a new fight. Uh, food insecurity is not a new fight. So all of these factors have contributed uh, to the inability to, for a full reopening, the way we normally would think of reopening of our school system. Um, what I have put forward um, is a different plan than what the mayor has rolled out. The mayor's plan rolls out a hybrid model where kids are in a few days in, a few days not. First of all, where do kids go on their non-school assigned days? Mm. You know, parents, working folks are facing impossible childcare uh, you know, situations. Um, and also teachers want to know where will their kids go on non-school assigned days as well. So what I put forward is a plan that says, number one, in, uh, first we have to meet all the safety guidance from CDC and state health department, um, but to have a phased in approach, prioritizing in-person uh, services for elementary, early childhood, and all children with IEPs, multilingual learners, uh, children in unsafe housing situations, uh, children in temporary housing. Give them the option of uh, in-person instruction five days a week with the option to opt out while keeping high school mainly remote. Um, and I'll, I'll explain. Uh, we have 1.1 million kids in our school system. 500,000 of them go to elementary school. We are too big to fully go back if we want to comply with social distancing. Also, elementary school kids tend to live closer to their elementary schools, so they don't have to use buses or trains to get to school, as opposed to high school kids who have to use buses and trains. Also, many high school kids have become or are primary caretakers for their younger siblings. So if everyone is remote at the same time, that means many high school kids are not learning themselves, they're helping their younger brother or sister with their tablet instruction. Um, and also just based on some science here, uh, I'm being told that kids under 10 transmit the virus much less than kids who are over 10. And as you know, many education experts you know, acknowledge, you know, you're only four years old once, and if kids are not reading at level by second grade, it's very hard to catch up you know, later. So I think we need to prioritize space and services for our most vulnerable kids um, and keep high school largely remote. But last thing I'll say on this, for high school students, I, I also hear them and I feel them because you know, they were my kids. And for many kids, school is a sanctuary, a safe space. 
And I think we need to use non-conventional spaces, you know, community centers, libraries, cultural institutions to provide enrichment opportunities so they can interact with their peers, but of course in safe settings in, in accordance with CDC and health guidance. Well, Mark, in, in, terms of, in terms of the school year, the way the school is designed, some people are saying, you know, Governor Cuomo said throughout the whole, the whole pandemic, you know, let's just not go back to try, trying to do things exactly like we did them before. Let's think creatively. Let's try to find new ways and let's move forward so the next time around it can be better. Do you think that's really possible? So I want to just, uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Emden is, is, is pretty awesome. So is Dr. English. Uh, I really, really appreciate being uh, with them today, with you, Lisa, as well. Um, to be clear, the governor actually has not even officially approved the mayor's proposal. Uh, the mayor had to submit his proposal by July 31st. Uh, he needed some extra time. The governor critiqued it as being incomplete, called it more of an outline. And so we actually have not received word whether the state is actually approving or rejecting the mayor's plan. So stay tuned on that because I'm not aware at this time uh, whether the governor has approved or not. But I also want to make clear, Lisa, that you know, going back to where things were, that's not acceptable either. And it's just, it's, not, it's, it's unsafe, but it's also going in circles. Uh, and I think Dr. Emden made very, made very powerful points about all the contributing factors that have contributed to the inequities and things that have been exacerbated by what this remote learning uh, you know, system and, and, this, and this move uh, to, to our school system has, has done to children. And I just, I worry about the kids who have also rely on schools, not as mentioned before by, by Dr. English, not just for instruction, but just for connections. You know, right. we are in an era, people call it social distancing. Actually, it's physical distancing. Right. Uh, it's not really social because there's still ways to deepen social connections. And in many cases, the call from the teacher, from the guidance counselor, is one of the most important calls kids are getting during their weekly check-ins. And the questions and the, and the topics are not just about two plus two. It's about, you know, do you need extra food? Uh, do you need, how is your housing situation? There are, there are high school kids, by the way, who are now working as essential workers to help their parents pay rent. So kids are being forced to grow up even faster, face social, emotional challenges than never before. And that's weighing heavy in our hearts as well. And then, Dr. Lisa, the other, you raised a, you introduced me to a phrase, emotional insecurity, because we hear adults, like as adults, we're like pretty much not, no matter what circumstance you're in, every aspect or a lot of aspects of your life, our lives have changed over the last six months. But you talk about this emotional insecurity that's especially tough for these kids. Absolutely. I mean, we're driven by our safety cues. And when you have, you know, anxiety and depression and fear, and you really have no one there to protect you, you don't know who to turn to. I mean, let's think about it. When this thing broke out in March, we couldn't even find toilet paper. I'm talking about like people like all of us on this Zoom right now, right? Like bleach, Every, everyone laughs when I say this, but like the sanitation, like wipes and, and, and hand sanitizer, like right. we were unable to walk into our local store and just purchase those items. It was unbelievable. And I thought about like our families in Brownsville and East New York and in the South Bronx, I'm like, oh my God, if it's so difficult for us, I can't even imagine what that feels like for them when they're trying to create a sense of safety for their children and those who they care for, the aging parents, all of that. Like, 
that emotional insecurity is deadly. And Mark raised an important point. When you think about even the fact that isolation is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of the impact on your physical health. Whoa. It's just, yes. I mean, and this is grounded in science, right? And so we must be very innovative and creative and thoughtful around how we integrate and bring people back because social distancing in itself is a physical health measure in order to prevent perhaps or reduce the infection rate. But at the same time, what other tools and resources are we providing to ensure that there's still a sense of emotional stability, calm, peace, security, and, and a reduction in fear and anxiety? Man, oh my gosh. And may I just, I know you're going to ask a question, but I just want to say like, and I think this is the role of schools in this season. Like the role of schools in this season, the role of folks who work in schools in this season is to, is to maintain connections to young people, is to be present via Zoom, via chat, via IG, via whatever tool available to keep a dialogue with young folks about being constructive, about being thoughtful, about being resilient about recognizing that they're in the midst of something that we're all dealing with and even though it's harming them in a particular way, that they can overcome it. And the absence of that thus far has been directly related to the spike in violence in New York City. Right. And th right. these, things, these things are not in isolation, they're deeply connected. When adults have not connected the young folks in person, when they've not had constructive interactions with other human beings, exactly. and when they've been left to their own devices to engage in social media without adult supervision, training, leaning, or support, they end up enacting violent acts. And so if, if you don't really reimagine what the role of school is in the season, all we're going to see is an exacerbation and, 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 a, and a sort of like a building upon these larger underlying uh, dynamics that are a function of the absence of connection. Young folks go out there and look at guns and go shoot other people because they don't have adults in their lives who are checking in on them, who are giving them advice, who are connecting to them. And that's what teachers do beyond content. And that needs to be happening not just oh, like in September, look, but how many, of our families, how many of our families even check in on us? Like, I mean, we, we, we hope that they do, right? And we, you know, we're all busy and we don't even check in as much as we should, right? On our yeah. family and relatives. I mean, like we, we are all guilty of this and we fall into this trap of like isolation in a, in a broad sense, right? I just can't imagine what unhealthy connections our children and families are making in order to cope with this. Because I tell you one thing, in the absence of healthy coping skills, people lean on unhealthy coping skills. Facts. So exactly. people Facts. start to drink more, use more drugs, have more you know, unsafe sexual practices, engage in, in unsafe and unhealthy experiences, and it just creates a, a whole mess. Like you said, you started okay. the conversation with the whole thing is a mess. All right, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, what can be done at this particular point? What can everybody do, whether you're a parent, whether you're a student, whether you're a community member that wants to support and do something a little bit in a volunteer way, what, if you're just a voter, what can people do right now? We're going to ask our panel that when we come back. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. We're t taking a look at our New York City public school system. Back to school, really, and in what kind of ways? Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Christopher Emden. He's a professor at the Teachers College at Columbia University.
University. He's also founder of the Hip Hop Ed and Science Genius programs that use hip hop to get kids up to level and into college on science and math. Dr. Emden, great to have you with us. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is New York City Council Member Mark Traeger from Brooklyn. He is the chair of the City Council Education Committee. He's been working very hard on this issue day and night. He is also a former New York City high school teacher. Mark, great to have you with us on the show. Great to be with you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Lisa English. She's a clinical therapist and she works with many at-risk children and special needs kids in the public school system. Dr. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank Happy you, to be here. Mark, in terms of what can be done now, it's just, you know, we, we've talked about this rush and heard about this rush to get everybody back. You know, a little bit of this, dealing with that. Here's a crisis here, putting out a fire there. How do we get to, and how do you get to, as the chair of the education department, some kind of say in what's really going to be happening here? Well, that's an important question, and I think that all of us have a responsibility. You know, we have, we have a civic responsibility. First of all, have folks filled out their census, because that's very important right now about being counted and seen. That that's resources to schools, hospitals, and to our to our state and city. Our folks registered to vote. Uh, I think that's also very very important. Holding folks accountable, making sure our voices are heard. Um, I think also make, making sure that our federal government, our state government, and our city government are they doing everything possible to support kids. And the answer, to, quite frankly, to me is no. We need to continue to hold folks in power accountable to deliver resources and adequate support. And as a community, I was saying before that many educators and, and you know, even folks from PTAs, they become like de facto counselors. These wellness uh, schools are doing what's called a wellness phone call, uh, checking in on kids, making sure kids are okay. When I was a teacher, I received training uh, called Raise the Praise. Uh, in many cases, the teacher telling the child, you're doing a great job, might be the only compliment they hear that day. And so I think that those connections, those validations are so important to kids. Think about, Lisa, if you're a high school senior and you didn't have a chance to experience what high school seniors usually go through, whether it's prom, whether it's graduation, graduation season. But I, I see communities finding innovative ways of bringing folks together. Uh, those car parades down their blocks, honking their horns, saying congratulations, some outdoor events, barbecues. I think we as a, as a community need to find ways to kind of deepen connections in this era of social distancing. And of course, continuing to hold people accountable to meeting the, the needs of the whole child. As pointed out by Dr. Emden and Dr. English, this is not about you know opening a textbook or, or, or about are preparing for our high school regions. This is about how do we deepen connections with children? How do we address them in trauma-informed ways that make sure that we are keeping them connected and keeping them apprised of, of the goals and the objectives to keep them safe and supported in love? Because I want to tell you my philosophy uh, as an educator that regardless of whatever's happening in the world, our school communities are about keeping kids loved, housed, safe, supported throughout anything. And we, we must always have their back. And I've seen, you know, I've had the opportunity as, as a news reporter and then also just as a volunteer and some of the community outreach work we do through Street Soldiers, just to see the dedication in the schools. There's so many teachers that are doing so much. There's so many parents that are really donating, you know, volunteering their time and really trying to keep the other parents who might not be so able 
you know, or in a position to interface with the school directly in these parent in these parent teacher councils and these types of things. But Chris, in, in terms of some practical things that could be done right now, because technology and you know people may not have high speed Wi-Fi, but especially a lot of our, our, our teens have some sort, you know, the mobile data plans thankfully have gotten a lot cheaper and the phones are a lot cheaper. They have access on their phones. What what are some of the things you can see with your creative genius that, that could be done right now? So I'm gonna bring this conversation out of schools and into parents, and I'll tell you why. If you are waiting for the schools to get it right, and we're giving practical suggestions for what the schools are supposed to do, we'll be waiting forever. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, it ain't working, bruh. So the argument here is to have a conversation with parents, and this is what I'll say to parents. Regardless about whether or not the schools open up, there's some things you can do. One, for your students, take them on trips. You ain't gotta worry about social distancing because you're on a family. The exposure that young folks have to spaces and places that are outside of their local environment opens up the imagination, triggers question asking, triggers innovation and creativity. There are a lot of cultural resources within New York City that are actually open. Botanical Garden, uh, uh, a Prospect Park, that these spaces where just, just, you know what, I'm gonna spend one day a month and taking my child outside of our hood and our community to go somewhere and have them reflect back on the experience. That's number one. Number two, whether or not you are an expert in content or not, get yourself a book and read it. And you say, what? Exactly. We're making, we gotta make sure our kids read. Who purchase for yourself a book, turn off the TV, pick up the book and read. I don't care if you frying like you're reading. Pick up the book and spend some time with a book open. You start modeling immediately for young people that they wanna pursue what their parents are pursuing. You build a culture around reading with your child it will, it will pay dividends later on. Second of all, writing. Writing about what? Our collective and shared experience. How was your day? I was so bored, mom, we didn't do nothing. You know what? Write me a narrative about that. What? Write me all the things that happened today that made you bored. The more our children write and the more they read, the more educated they are. And then the last one I would say is exposure. Doesn't matter if you're an expert or not, your job in this season is to identify people in your network and guess what? Everybody got a genius in their network. My cousin's 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 auntie went to college. This person I know, who know this person I know is a professor here or an engineer here. So this is a season where you identify the people within your network that can be that edifying person as an exemplar of an educator to, correct direct, to create direct communication. So a young person can have an exemplar in their life who's pursued academic content and potential. And then final one, create an environment in your home that is only for learning. The most comfortable space in your home Going to only be for learning. I don't, if we live in the most broken of circumstances, and like, like I grew up in, create that yeah. one little corner, that one little corner where there's one poster, one comfortable seat. You can sit on. The, the only place in your home, but if your child goes, mom, I want some juice, you don't say, go get your own juice. If your child is in a learning space with a book, they're catered to, they're loved there. It's not creating in the psyche of the young person that learning is something that has rewards. And if we do all those things, we may be able to at least create a culture around learning, around a different way of looking at the world, that when this whole thing is over, the young folks can enter into school and learn in more creative and innovative ways. That is the fantastic ideas. Dr. Elisa, in terms of on the emotional support, in terms of that, reducing that isolation, what, what are some, some tips you can leave us with? 
Well, I always like to start off with that whole airline safety briefing that reminds us to put on our own oxygen mask before we start helping others, right? So we must take care of ourselves. So if we have teachers that are masked and caregivers and, you know, leaders and everyone is all over the place. And Lord, we don't want to mention our leaders right now, but that's another conversation. Like if people are all over the place and they're unable to take care of themselves, we certainly don't want to trust them to take care of our children. Mm. Right. I think people also need to feel free um, to express their feelings and we need to allow children to do the same. So we need to create spaces and within our academic spaces where they have the opportunity to share and share their feelings because there's nothing like releasing pain, right? Letting it out and letting it go. I think we should be very intentional to employ coping strategies, healthy coping strategies, right? And can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Healthy, healthy coping strategies, things that we know, everything that was mentioned before, all of that is important. Exploring outside, you know, looking at new opportunities to learn, connecting with family members that may have some other type of skill or expertise that they can lend support and help sort of build this village, right? Perform regular check-ins. I think everyone has said that. Like, we all need to check in more. I feel bad that I didn't check in on you more, but you know me and my fear and anxiety. So I was, <laughs> but I mean, like, we need to check in more. Like, and I need to be intentional exactly. about that. Exactly. Um, and my last thing um, is, is just be, be very um, conscious of your inability to do something. Don't just say, like, I can do it, and then what happens is you destroy the lives of so many other people. Be, right. Use the power of no. No, and I need to find someone else who can do this. Because I tell you, child abuse rates are increasing. You know, suicide rates have increased. It's a lot going on. And I think people are just so afraid to say no. They're just giving up and giving out. All right. So, so we got some, some tips there. And then uh, City Council Member Mark Traeger, in terms of your agenda with the City Council and what people can do to support the improvement of the education and just really making our kids a priority. What do you say to voters? What do you say to parents? What do you say to people in the community who just want to help? Well, first of all, again, the panelists are really powerful and uh, I, it's really an honor to, to be with them. Um, I also think during a time of crisis, particularly in leadership, uh, leaders have to be completely, fully honest and transparent about the challenges we're facing. Uh, we might not, you know, have all of the solutions immediately at hand, but be honest about that and, and, and tell them that we need help and support. It's okay to ask for help. As, as my colleague in government says, Jamani Williams, who I have much respect for, it's okay not to be okay. I think mm -hmm. we need to kind of normalize that as well, that it's okay to say we need help. And right now, the city of New York, uh, Lisa, I, I got a very sobering report about our finances, that the city is running out of revenue uh, by October. And so mm -hmm. either either we get basically, help from Washington. We're basically, we're, basically, the city will be broke in October. And, and the mayor is threatening massive layoffs to, to city mm -hmm. workers, many of which are essential workers that have been keeping our city running, by the way. And by the way, I want to give a shout out. School food workers, yes. school cleaners, yes. they yes. have been working every single day in buildings, yeah. feeding our families in kitchens that are 100 degree plus. Uh, temperatures. So I want to give them a shout out. They're a part of our safety and essential workers. 
but we need uh, either help from Washington or the New York State, the governor has the power to issue what's called borrowing authority to kind of keep city operations afloat uh, to get us through this year. So I think right now we need help from the state and the mayor should realize it doesn't cost a dime to be honest about the challenges that we're facing and New Yorkers deserve nothing less than that full honesty and transparency. All right, I want, I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Dr. Chris Emden, great to have you with us. Uh, City Council Member Mark Traeger, great to have you with us on the panel. And Dr. Lisa English, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice, and education for all. <laughs>